Welcome to Marketing Legends, a program within the WVU Marketing Communications Today podcast series. Marketing Legends features marketing thinkers, innovators, practitioners, and founders, legends of the marketing world, who join co-hosts Cindy Greenglass and Ruth Stevens to talk about their careers and share their wisdom with the marketers of today. Thank you for joining us. Ruth, how fortunate we are to have Professor Philip Kotler as our guest today on Marketing Legends. Professor Kotler has been recognized as one of the world's leading marketing thinkers and has been called the father of modern marketing. He is author of Marketing Management, which was first published in 1967. And if you can imagine, it's in its 16th edition. That's amazing. Isn't that? He has published over 90 books, 170 journal articles, including Confronting Capitalism, Democracy in Decline, and Advancing the Common Good. He has consulted for major corporations that are all household names, IBM, Merck, GE, AT&T, Ford, and many others, and has spoken all around the world, uh, run world marketing summits, And anyone who's been uh, fortunate enough, there's a few, very lucky few, who've been fortunate to attend his classes in the past at the uh, Kellogg School of Management. Um, Welcome, Professor Kotler, um, as our marketing legend today. Well, thank you for the introduction, Cindy. Uh, It's accurate, uh, and I will use it (laughs) in the future. But uh, I I look forward to... uh, your questions because it is an opportunity for me to think freshly about issues. We never have fixed views on very much, and I learn from my own answers. <laughs> <laughs> I, I understand that. And Cindy and I were mentioning the other day that both of us have probably somewhere close to a dozen of your titles on our shelves and have learned from them and also used them in our the classes that we teach. So we're just absolutely thrilled to meet you. And my first question is about the, the point that you have made famously that businesses exist to serve. What an interesting way of putting this. Could you explain that a bit to us and our audience, please? Yes, um, actually, you go into a business uh, with some need that you want to, that people have that you'd like to meet uh, and uh, so that they have a better life. Uh, You feel that um, you, through exchange, and this is the important word, uh, that exchange works beautifully when it's win-win for both parties that are the transaction is entered to freely between the the buyer and the would-be seller. Uh, And therefore, um, in the end, uh, by the voluntary agreement to exchange, uh, both parties are served. Not the seller is served as much as the buyer. The seller receives money for the product that gives hopefully satisfaction to the buyer. Now, there is a movement uh, in another field called being 
a servant leader. Uh, and I sometimes think there's, you know, the word serve is also the word service. Yes. And service is very important. Uh, as a matter of fact, many products that are physically pretty good fail because the service has not been sent along with the product. I remember a friend <laughs> receiving a new refrigerator, but it was going to take three weeks before the people could install it. And so mm. so um, sir, you should feel comfortable about serving someone. It doesn't make you uh, superior or inferior to them. It comes out of a compassion to make uh, life better for more people. So there's nothing wrong with the word to, I am a marketer, I'm a salesperson, whatever. Uh, I'm a politician. I mean, I aim to serve a constituency in a way where they appreciate uh, being better off as a result of the solutions that I offer. Oh, I, that's very clear. It's like the exchange of value that we often hear, that I, the business is providing something of value, a service, the refrigerator, plus the installation. <laughs> and, and let me add that um, every firm has to concentrate on certain team members to make them successful. And initially, the idea was there's only two groups to be satisfied by a firm. One was the customers, and the other was the investors. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't have customers, your firm disappears. And the, in fact, that's why uh, the famous uh, management expert, Peter Drucker, one of my heroes, said, mm -hmm. the aim of a business is to create customers. Yeah. Okay. And he should have added, and the aim of the business is also to reward the investors. And that's the way it was for a long time. And then right. some companies began to say, that's not broad enough, because success is made not by those two groups alone, but by the employees, by yep. the suppliers, the distributors. And so we began recently, too recently, um, to say that there's six or seven stakeholders to be considered as participating in the transaction and making it a success. And one of the companies that has made a big point about that is Unilever. And yes. I like them very much for that because uh, their former president said, um, first, the customers, second, the employees, Oh. Need to be satisfied, and he goes on to the. And he goes on and he lists the community has to be satisfied. Yeah, wow. the, And the planet has to be satisfied. Yes. yes. And yeah. finally, he says number seven is the investors. Oh, now, I love it was that. Very courageous to say that because they could just abandon the firm, and then there's no money for Unilever. Right. He, he knows they they accept that that they are to be rewarded, but all of them, and that is called running your company as a stakeholder company, not a shareholder company. Wow, that's wonderful. And as you point out, a big change from the it's traditional thinking of, about simply customers and investors. And it it's also 
coincident with the, the, our understanding that customers now value the companies for thinking that way. Like people will try to buy about sustainability and fair practice, fair labor practices, for example. Sure. sure. Interesting. Well, that raises the whole question of how far a company should go in away from pure financial uh, accomplishment to social problems facing everyone. Should they be not saying anything about social problems at all, or should they adopt some particular problem that's affecting them deeply, such as Coca-Cola is worried about water around the world. As it becomes mm. short, they can stop making Coke, unfortunately. So what is the range of social involvement of a company? Now, and this becomes more intensified because the people they want to hire, and that's the young people, we call them millennials, or and beyond them are the Generation Z. Uh, right. And they have values. And they join companies that have a cause. They want their work to be important work. And so a company, even if it would prefer zero cause, is not allowed to do that if they want to attract the best new people on the job. So we still have to look at that problem of how do you relate as a company to some of the concerns people have beyond the product that we're selling? Right. How, how do you think companies or, or examples of companies who've done a really good job doing that balancing act between Wall Street and Main Street and uh, accommodating the changing values of the new consumer versus those of us who um, you know, have been serving Wall Street for a long time with the, the short-term economic returns? Mm -hmm. Well, I uh, wrote a book called Corporate Social Responsibility in which I had a chart showing about 30 of the companies that we interviewed and the social work they got involved in. Mm -hmm. um, I remember um, we cited... General Motors getting involved in making sure that um, that streets uh, are made better uh, by the government uh, when there were holes in streets or or things that might cause accidents, and they got involved in street planning. That would be a, getting involved in the cause that affects your own business. So what that is a natural thing to do. Uh, but uh, which is the, I'm trying to remember my numbers where one of the companies um, uh, which serve women mainly uh, decided that uh, one of their big problems that women have, unfortunately, is sometimes the breast cancer problems. And they made that a cause unrelated to what they're selling to women. They were selling cosmetics and other things, but uh, they wanted to raise money and they raised millions and millions uh, as a company to give to those people in medicine working on alleviating and mitigating problems like that for women. So a company um, 
has uh, has to have a purpose. So that really goes back to the question of why are you in business? Right. And more companies are trying to define their purpose. They want to be purpose-driven as a company, which is beyond the mere financial side of the picture. And um, you'll see more said about that during our talk and uh, as you read what companies are, are doing now. We're seeing a lot about that. And it's, um, as you point out, it attracts both customers and employees yes. as, as a, as a yes. side, side benefit. So um, how does it feel to be called the father of modern marketing? <laughs> Well, I like it uh, very much. <laughs> I would too. <laughs> but I didn't. Uh, it, uh, one of the things to understand is I did not name it myself. I mean, I can imagine that there may even be marketers who are upset about that, uh, feeling either they're the father of, by the way, it's not the father of marketing, but the father of modern marketing. Marketing started in the early 1900s, and many textbooks came out over the years. And so we're, we can't neglect the, the great contributions of early marketers who were really economists for the most part, mad at economics for neglecting price and uh, advertising and sales force. In other words, leaving out the the blood and flesh of real economics. Okay, so modern marketing, we can't date when it started, but maybe some people imply that it started with my book called the 1967 book, which is in the 16th edition. Uh, and that covered so much of the topic in even a broader way, but also um, got it into being more of a science. Most textbooks were gathering opinions about what a salesman should do when he talks to a customer. Uh, you know, the common sense of, of all of, of, of pricing and selling and advertising, but unscientific. Even though we began to have journals that welcomed articles that were uh, empirical, and, and told us what was the real story of, 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 of impact uh, of marketing. So I would say that um, getting that title, whoever started to talk about it that way, uh, is really saying that a textbook sort of came out in 1967, which uh, wanted to be different and show, be based on good economic theory, good theory of how organizations work, good theory on communication, broader than just advertising. In fact, the whole idea of, of storytelling uh, as a broader idea of communication. So that, that I'm happy to be described that way sometimes, but I'm sure there may be some people who want to debate who is the father of modern marketing. And I'd be welcome, I'd welcome the uh, other solutions because we, we should have some people who are extremely talented and should be recognized as such. A debate on this would be welcome. I'd love to hear who else you think should be included 
um, in your cohort, uh, you know, as, as part of the founding fathers. I've learned so much from other marketers. Uh, you, I know uh, one of uh, my own colleagues, my own colleagues at Northwestern, uh, I learned so much from them. We had Sidney Levy, who made us all human beings by, by just being with him. If we could go back, and, and you did mention a little bit there about Drucker, um, you know, who were your mentors and your influencers? And, and you said a little bit, you consider him to be uh, one of your uh, iconic mentors? Yes, uh, and not only mine, but the whole management world sure. knows who Drucker was. Read him, and they reread read him because there's so much wisdom and wit in his writing. Yes. So many memorable quotes that uh, you just want to go back again and again. Now, Peter and I uh, met. We met because I got a phone call from him. Uh, one day, he was in California where he taught at Claremont. And he says, Phil, I like, I'm Peter Drucker. Now, I thought someone was pulling my leg. Yeah. <laughs> I a I'll German bet. accent. And uh, I said, and he says, can you join me at Claremont in California sometime to talk about your work on nonprofit marketing? Because I'm trying to finish a book on that. And uh, there's so much I can learn from you. Peter Drucker is one of my heroes. Okay. People uh, in the marketing field, uh, among them, by the way, are my co-authors who are very famous. Um, uh, Kevin Keller. Keller, right. He's yeah. terrific. It's, uh, it's, uh, he's got his own, besides him being part of my book, Marketing Management Now, I, I mean, I chose, I needed someone else to work with me who knew mm -hmm. branding very well, and he has his own mm -hmm. book on branding. Then uh, Gary Armstrong uh, has been wonderful from North Carolina, uh, University of North Carolina. Yes. And um, and then uh, right now, uh, I asked uh, uh, Alexander uh, Chernoff to be a third author. I look forward to his original thinking on a lot of subjects. He's helped me reformulate the four Ps to the seven Ps. Oh, great. We're waiting yeah. for that. Yeah. Well, Thank you. Uh, I don't know if they're, I don't even know if they're all Ps anymore. Yes. You know, beginning with the P. <laughs> but I, um, if I, um, at some point, I normally tell these things in lectures and Zoom, uh, Zoom talks that I give around the world because I get a lot of letters from uh, inviting me uh, and learn a great deal. I have to thank Zoom for that because one normally has to travel to talk to anyone and, and should travel if they can. And I can, but I find that uh, my problem is getting, I get too many calls to volunteer an hour uh, University of Bright. We're guilty students. of this. Yeah, you know, and, 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 and yet you, you do what you can with, even if you're meeting often pressing publishing demands and uh, and right. deadlines. Well, I'm, well we... I'm glad you brought this up, 
the subject of marketing education because Cindy and I wanted to ask you what your thinking is today about is marketing education keeping up with the developments in the world and, and the world of marketing? Do you, are you advising educators on how we can be doing better? Well, we are constantly thinking of our new additions and how they could be educationally sound and uh, inspiring. Uh, in my case, it's not only the uh, book called uh, Marketing Management, which is the highest level book uh, on the subject, but it's also the book called Principles of Marketing, which is for colleges, uh, students, and then the one called An Introduction, Marketing and Introduction, um, which I work with other authors uh, on those books. And we always say, what's new that we have to bring up? Well, mm -hmm. what's new is easy to answer. Lots of things. We're in a digital age. Uh, that's changing everything. Yeah. Um, and it's making the subject of marketing more quantitative and analytical. Uh, we are at a point now that we, we used to be mass marketers. That was the nature of marketing. You wanted to get a brand that everyone knew about and you can do a 30-second commercial and get them to buy more of the product. Then we got into segmentation and realized that uh, there's many groups to be served separately and, and financially successfully. Uh, and we did a good job. Uh, we weren't at the personal level with people. We were at the segment level. But now with the data that's available to companies on individuals coming out largely from social media. Now, the newest thing is we uh, are going from just being digital to being uh, AI, mm. namely uh, artificial intelligence, with this latest development called Chat G uh, GPT. Yeah. Uh, uh, where we could answer, we could put a question to the computer and it will be to, to, to get an essay from them on that subject or to make an ad for us. Isn't it miraculous? So how are you advising people entering the marketing field today on how to operate how to prepare for these amazing changes that are are arriving practically daily daily yes it, uh, you know a person if they get interested uh, in marketing it's probably because uh, they're in a college they're thinking of what kind of career they want they're imagining some of them they want a business career because it could have been a law career, an engineering career, medical career, whatever. But they chose business. Uh, but that doesn't mean they're going to be in marketing. They're going to want a business school education. And uh, if they choose marketing, it's still not enough, not rich enough. What part of marketing? Do they want to choose to be a marketing researcher because they believe, love research and, and getting answers to questions uh, through uh, surveys and uh, polls, polling and so on? Or do they want to be a pricing expert? Um, do they want to be a product development expert? 
uh, or a customer management expert. There's so many rooms in the mansion called marketing. <laughs> and I'm going to advise them this. Do what you can to work for the, one of the top countries, the companies in marketing, you know, Procter & Gamble, Colgate, uh, General Mills, so many good performers, multinational companies. Now, um, if they do that, uh, they uh, still, uh, if they want to really get to be different, because where these companies already have good people in advertising, good people in research, uh, the new, the best opportunities to be digital is for that person to major in understanding the digital and the social marketing, social media marketing world. And better than that, be good at the new chat GPT that's coming uh -huh. up. Uh, you know, a lot of our marketing will be done through what we call uh, chat boxes, uh, chat bots, sometimes mm -hmm. called, which is uh, which knows the questions that people might ask about this new product, and they can get answers by just talking to a chat bot rather than a live person, which says, "I understand you. Uh, our product has especially been good at the following," and it answers questions. So I, I, I think you will succeed as a young person in marketing if you are digital and uh, with the latest an analytical tools. That's what that's the great. shortage, that's where the shortage lies. In a marketing department run by people in their 40s and 50s and maybe 60s, they have learned themselves these new tools, but not at the level that the digital natives who are the right. uh, general gen z and gen y no that's yes. great professor kotler in the few minutes that we have remaining with you if we could ask you um to go back in time uh, to uh, and and what advice would you have told your younger self oh that's a good question um because i started not in the field of marketing, but in the field of economics. That was my choice. Right. And the reason I got into economics is I was always wondering about why there are rich and poor. Oh. Why isn't money better available to everyone? And that led me into the normal readings one does of uh, Karl Marx and others who have different solutions to questions of equity and justice, um, whether you agree with those answers or not. So I uh, went into marketing because I found the economist, and I'm degreed in economics, not in marketing at MIT. It's uh, where I met, where my thesis was on on labor management. How do you reward? What is the right reward for labor in an enterprise? How much? Uh, do you just pay the going rate, uh, the lowest rate, or do you really hire people who are good and pay them what they're really worth, and so on? But that was just dissertational research in India that I did. But the main thing is that. Um, we want um, uh, I, I ended up writing 
three books that were mentioned in the introduction because I worried about the impact of the economy and the forces driving an economy. Uh, what's that going to do to capitalism? What is it going to do to democracy? What And what is the public good anyways? Uh, right now, there are two books that I am looking forward to be, being published. One is called Regeneration, and it has to do with the problem of so many cities and small towns that are dying or overcrowded. How do you make life better in, in, in places? Uh, we did a lot of work in Sicily and Palermo where they have national treasures from the history of that area that are dying because the city doesn't have the money to, to improve itself. But Regeneration is our book on how to create new life in something that has been losing. The other book is called The Wicked Seven. Uh, and by that, we have identified six wicked, uh, seven wicked sit situations in the world. And we don't treat nature well. For sure. we, we have too much hate, not enough love. Uh, and the book, The Wicked Seven, treat seven of these wicked problems and what can we do about it? But wow. that, that, that's going to come up out soon and, and so on. So I what? have not left marketing. I've just expanded. My contribution when I'm asked if what I really wanted to impact the field on was twofold. One was I felt that marketing should be broadened because everyone does marketing. It's not just a person who makes a product. Uh, it's, a, it's a city that wants to get a reputation and attract more tourists. It's a, a, a singer who wants to get a known better as a very great singer. Uh, marketing is done by so many groups that it was called the broadening of marketing, which was fought by many marketers who wanted to just keep it as the exchange of money for a product. The other thing is I felt that marketing should go along with something called demarketing. Hmm. Namely, uh, we could also have to conserve our resources. Our forests are being devastated. Our fishing is overfishing, over timbering. How do you demarket? How do you, how do you save water basically? And then the third thing I, I wanted to have an impact on was I invented a field called social marketing, but that was about how to get people off of hard drugs, how to get them off of cigarettes, smoking, that which were killing them. Um, and social marketing now is a, one of our books is in the sixth edition oh, wow. of, of hundreds of studies that have been done on how to help people drive more carefully, how kids will, should not be allowed to drown in a, in a, in a, in a lake by going in without uh, wearing something and having the skills. All kinds of issues come up and there's a, about two or 3,000 people who are qualified social marketers to help solve ordinary problems that hurt, are hurting people. These are wonderful directions that you've taken your interest in economics and marketing toward, I, 
I'm so impressed and can't thank you enough for sharing your thinking with us today. Well, thank you for the opportunity you're giving me to share ideas. And we certainly look forward to these additional publications and books that you have in the works. And thank you so much for your very precious time today. Okay. And you too have a very good uh, day and, uh, and years coming. Thank you. Thank you, Bye. Professor. You've been listening to WVU Marketing Legends, hosted by Ruth Stevens and Cindy Greenglass. The WVU Reed College of Media's online programs is honored to host these amazing guests who have helped make marketing what it is today. Please be sure to visit go.wvu.edu slash mctoday to hear previous discussions, listen to the Marketing Horizon series, subscribe to receive updates, as well as learning more about the renowned WVU Marketing Communications online programs.